This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate, Rewind and Rewatch, episode 50, covering Mercury Rising 2014 from the McAllister Auditorium on the campus of Tulane University in New Orleans, Louisiana on April 5th, 2014. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find our podcast in the Voices of Wrestling feed or on our own dedicated podcast feed on all the podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you would like to donate to the show, just click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing page. You just click the red box that says sponsor the show, and you can set up a one-time reoccurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but I would like to thank all of our previous donors. It's time for the last Dragon Gate USA show. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, I'm Max Beershorn. As always, by my co-host, Case Lowe. And Case, episode 50, we started this almost exactly a year ago. But now it's time to close the gate. It is time to, to finally stop talking about Gabe. And it's time to send off Dragon Gate USA. 49 shows down, one to go. It's, it's nice. I, this, this will sound very dumb off the bat, but I was thinking yesterday as we were preparing to this final episode, and we'll be back next week to do sort of a summarization of everything. We've got some talking points we want to hit on as the conclusion to Dragon Gate USA. But reviewing these shows, you know, we started this just basically because my college was like, okay, uh, everybody go home. Everybody, college is going to be canceled for a little bit. And I just had time in my schedule that I had never had before. And I said, Mike, let's try to let's try to knock some of these shows out with the hope that maybe, you know, by the fall, things would be somewhat back to normal, and that was not the case. And I feel like over 2020, I did a very poor job journaling and keeping almost like day-to-day tabs of early quarantine stuff into just the thick of the summer and, and beyond. I like that this show works as some sort of a document of living in 2020 and into what, you know, every bit of news that we have now was that the summer of 2021 into the fall will uh, slowly, or I guess actually in the sense, in the case of America, it was just going to be a free for all. And once you get vaccinated, just go back to doing whatever you were doing on March 10th of 2020. And just, just no lessons will have been learned. But I like that this really acts as sort of a time capsule for us as to what we spent really our entire 2020 doing into early 2021. So I'm thrilled to be here for the final Dragon Gate USA show, Mercury Rising 2014. Yeah, it's something where a lot of this, at least my intentions with the series, was 
uh, chronicling with enough distance uh, the history of Dragon Gate USA, this odd and peculiar uh, vestige of another era of independent wrestling that also, in a lot of ways, was very transformative. And I feel like over the last 49 episodes, we've kind of laid out the thesis that a lot of, of what we see today, you could link back to open the historical gate in July of 2009. But yeah, no, this is like a document of our last year. Uh, I would say that uh, combined, we've probably spent 10 hours a week between both of us independently watching the show, us researching, recording the show, me editing it, and kind of putting this all together. So like, this is by far the uh, deepest undertaking that I've taken in podcasting and in wrestling podcasting and it's kind of weird the fact that we're going to be we'll have an aftermath episode there might be something else later down the road relating to dragon gate usa but it's kind of weird thinking that after 50 episodes about 80 hours of audio that's it this is the last dragon gate usa show and what a show it was yeah just to have you know again it's not a massive undertaking but almost three hour shows every week plus whatever I'm doing for notes and and the timeline section this week is actually very small it's one of the smaller timeline sections we've had on any of these shows because we're just talking about the surrounding events on this Wrestlemania weekend but yeah I just to have that time back in the week I mean I'm sure it will go to watching Grand Hamada matches instead of Johnny Gargano (laughs) matches but it'll be nice to have a little bit more freedom in that schedule just because, you know, with our recording schedule, especially for the past four or five months, I've just been watching these shows pretty much every Saturday afternoon, and that has kind of been the chunk of my weekend. And again, it's not bad, because as we've seen with Dragon Gate USA, I, I think the shows were better than I expected them to be, especially towards the end. Like, once things fell off a cliff, it was total. There was no point of return, but... It took us longer to get there than I thought it would, which is is kind of a good feeling, and it was it was rewarding. And, and we'll talk more about best shows, worst shows, MVPs, uh, all time Dragon Gate USA match list, all of that coming next week. Yeah, yeah, no, next week we we, we have a lot of stuff that we want to do, and it's not just going to be a list. Well, I I know we've talked about some stuff, but it's going to be a pretty cool show. But case it is time to get back into the timeline for one last time, and let's talk about WrestleMania week in 2014. Yeah, so last week, if you missed that episode, I I highly recommend going back and listening to it. We chronicled exactly what happened with the Dragon Gate talent not being on this show, uh, the visa issues that Gabe was uh, attempting to be public about, and kind of using what he was saying privately against him to some extent. We talked about Ricochet winning the Open the Dreamgate title in Japan and the surroundings that were happening in Dragon Gate. This time we are back on the U.S. indie scene. We are talking about everything that happened on WrestleMania Week in 2014, and we begin with Evolve 28 Hero versus Beretta from the McAllister Auditorium on April 3rd, 2014, on a show that featured Biff Busick defeating Drew Gulak, Green Ant defeating Maxwell Chicago. How about that? And match number two, Green Ant versus Maxwell Chicago. A.R. Fox defeating Caleb Conley. The Bravado Brothers retaining the Open the United Gate belts over Chuck Taylor and Orange Cassidy. And then Ricochet defeats Anthony Nice. Johnny Gargano defeats Rich Swan. In your main event, Evolve title match, Chris Hero defends against Trent Beretta. Mike, do you have any recollection of Evolve 28? So I did not watch this show. This was not going to take my time. I am looking at the cage match, and a very familiar name to me 
is defending the Wildcat heavyweight title. The, the, the big thing about this weekend was Luke Hawks, and it's the same thing that happened in 2018. Basically, everyone used his promoter's license. We will get into on the show itself talking about the Louisiana State Athletic Commission, but his champion, one Mike Dell, who is someone that I've seen a whole lot of because he was a big Dallas-Fort Worth guy for a while. So that kind of cracked me up. The main event, Mike Dell. Yeah, well, there's a whole car of Texas guys here because Mike Dell defends the Wildcat heavyweight title in a dark match over Wes Adams. And then the six-man tag before it, Ricky Starks of AEW fame is in that six-man as well. So there was some car from Texas going to New Orleans and Gabe booked them uh, not only on this dark match, but Ricky Starks, I think, is on the on the dark match on all three, uh, the One Evolve show and the two Drang at USA shows this weekend. I will say... You know, we spoke a lot about how disappointing Open the Ultimate Gate 2014 was last week. We'll talk a lot about Mercury Rising 2014, and I don't know if I would call this show disappointing, but I certainly wouldn't call it good. Evolve 28, to me, was the most offensive show of the weekend. I remember being so excited for these shows in particular because I don't believe Ring of Honor was running an iPay-Per-View that weekend. Even if they were, I knew I was choosing Gabe's product over Ring of Honors. This was the first WrestleMania weekend where I was, like, in to an extreme level. This was going to be my weekend, was watching the WWN experience from New Orleans. And this Evolve show, it starts with Biff Music versus Drew Gulak, which is uh, nice sounding on paper. The issue is that on the live eye pay-per-view, the match was unwatchable, and there were huge feed issues throughout the show. If you look at the Larry Zonka review on 411, he has old Gabe tweets embedded where Gabe says, if you are running other programs, please close them if you're having lagging problems. And Larry correctly notes, pretty sure it's your connection, not my Microsoft Word that is the issue. Uh, and then from there, you know... What am I going to do with a, an 11-minute Green Ant versus Maxwell Chicago <laughs> match? And even the stuff that you think would deliver, Fox versus Conley, Gargano versus Swan, all of that stuff was disappointing. And the finale of this show, like on cage match, if you look at the match times, they're all rounded to the closest minute. But Hero versus Beretta, that main event, was 30 minutes on the dot. I remember that exactly. And it is as bad of a 30-minute Chris Hero Tremperetta match as there could possibly be. It was so disappointing. There was a ton of Premier Athlete brand interference. This is right around the time, and I talked about this, I think, two weeks ago, where Hero comes back to the Indies with a bang. He has the Gargano match and then the AR Fox match. But after he beats AR Fox, it it starts to ebb and flow a little bit for Hero because he starts to work with a back issue. He puts on weight again, and he's he's struggling a little bit. And obviously, all of that is forgotten because of his 2015 and his 2016. But this was kind of a, a murky period for Hero. And that Trent Beretta match is so long and so boring and so disappointing that Evolve 28, for all of the nonsense that has gone on in Evolve, a, a promotion that has peaked so highly and has hit these dreadfully low floors as well, I really look at Evolve 28 as a low point in the promotion. It is such an ungodly awful show to me. And it's something that when you like look at the, look at the lineups, you would think like, okay, there's actually a lot here. And hearing how dreadful it is, it's just like, I don't know what it is about the McAllister Auditorium, but I feel like that 
Gargano versus Swan, if you if they have them for like 14 minute match there, that should probably be really good given those two in their chemistry. Uh, Ricochet and Nice, given them more time, that should be that should be solid. Gulak and Busick, like how many times have Biff Busick and Drew Gulak have had matches in their career? Like you would think that like all these c- together would put together at least a good a-, a show that if not having a really high ceiling would have a really high floor in it from the way you're describing it because I did not watch the show. I don't have any intention to ever go back and revisit <laughs> the Evolve 28. It's not a Evolve. fun, bad show. It's just a bad show. Yeah, yeah. And it's just something about, I feel like, this Mania weekend for Gabe that just, you you know, the wheels were already off the cart, but now the cart's on fire. With that, we go to the next day. We go to April 4th, 2014. Same building for a show that was dubbed a wrestling odyssey. This was essentially the prototype for the WWN Super Show that would begin in the next year with the main event of Austin Aries and Roderick Strong versus Ricochet and Uha Nation. And then the year after that, there was that crazy six-man that was, and I'm going to try to remember this off the top of my head, I believe it was Kota Ibushi, TJP, and Johnny Gargano against Will Ospreay, Tommy End, and I think Marty Skrull was the six-man, and that is one of my favorite matches that Gabe has ever booked. But this year we had a wrestling odyssey. The show begins with a Wildcat heavyweight title match, main event Mike Dell, uh, defeating New Japan Pro Wrestling Steve Anthony. Uh, Steve Anthony, someone that would later do New Japan tours, representing the NWA uh, during the Bruce Tharp era. So a fun name to look at there. The second match, uh, my God, what a disaster. Harlem Bravado and Lancelot Bravado defeat Candice LeRae and Joey Ryan with Maxwell Chicago as the special guest referee. Uh, moving on from that debacle, Trent defended the FIP World Heavyweight title against Lince Dorado. Leva Bates and Mia Yim, the Lucha Sisters, defended the tag, or I'm sorry, the Shine Tag Team titles against Nevaeh and Sassy Steffi. There was a Shine title match with Evil East defending against Jazz. A CZW World Heavyweight title European rules match with Drew Gulak defeating Timothy Thatcher. And then your main event, an Evolve title three-way 20-minute Ironman match with Chris Hero defeating Anthony Nice and AR Fox. Mike, did you ever get around to watching a wrestling odyssey? I remember for like, I don't remember watching the show, but I remember seeing an Ivelisse versus Jazz match and it was pretty solid. But I don't remember this show. Like, this is also Gulak during like the campaign to save CZW phase. So like that all lines up. But the rest of this, I mean just it exists you know yeah the undercard is a dumpster fire on for a number of reasons but as it would turn out that czw match was incredibly important that is the first time that gabe had well thatcher had worked a little bit of fip right before this but this was kind of thatcher's first real showcase in a Gabe sapolsky promotion and i was going to ask you because this was a czw world heavyweight title match you know, we've talked about the promotion a little bit when we were covering 2010 and 2011, when you had Moxley and Callahan and, and a younger AR Fox working the promotion. By 2014, I know this is a, this is an insane question, but are you watching CZW at all? No, God, no. So I, 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 whenever I've watched CZW, it's because it was for free on high spot streaming. And I was like, you know what? Nothing else is on. And it's always what I expect it to be. But in 2014, hell no. No. Because this was like the front. This is when it was like Drew Gulak, Sozio, uh, Biff Busick was a member of that at one time as well. Like, it was a wild time. Well, I ask because 
it, it fell just out of our timeline, and it was a show that I couldn't remember the exact date, and I, I wanted to be sure I brought it up at some point, because there's a CZW show at the end of April. It's April 27, 2014. It is CZW 2 Infinity, and it is from the FET Music uh, venue that Beyond Wrestling ran. CZW ran there and put on this unbelievable show where the final matches are Kevin Steen versus DJ Hyde, the juicy product against the Beaver Boys, and then a 30-minute Drew Gulak versus Biff Busick match. Mike, I bought this DVD. It's the only CZW DVD I ever owned. It's the only individual CZW show that I ever bought. And it was like this weird moment of like, oh, Steen's working for the promotion. They have this cool venue, and Gulak and Biff Busick are doing tricked out grappling in czw main events like this promotion's kind of interesting now and then what happened was gulak defended the title there and then they ran a show back in Voorhees, i think two weeks later and biff won the title but there was some angle that went with it and people were just like oh fuck this like it's czw why did i pretend to even care for just a second so there was a brief moment here where it was like, hey, CZW, not bad, right? And then it quickly went back to big CZW. And then the other thing on this show was the Evolve title three-way 20-minute Ironman match, which I know I mentioned, but this was something that post-Drangit USA, Gabe would experiment with some of these like 10, 15, 20-minute Ironman matches. I don't think they ever got over, I especially, like this three-way match was really weird. I just remember this being really disjointed, but this was something that, expands past our timeline but something that Gabe would try in the near future yeah and it's something that Iron Man matches you know they happen and whenever they happen I'm never really up for it like the best Iron Man match I think I've seen it other than there was like this I I forget what it was called it was one of the uh, Joshi Dome shows where they did this really cool Iron Iron Man match that was like four on four but they did like five minute matches and the remainder was just the last 40 minutes of it then was just like how many falls to finish but most Iron Man matches just don't do much for me other than like Pac versus Omega from last year yeah that is a a god tier Iron Man match I believe the one you're thinking of because I was just DMing with someone about this Are, are you referring to the Thunder Queen battle in 1993 yeah, that's it. The Thunder Queen battle. If you have not seen that, I would recommend it. Very, very good match. A high point in 90s Joshi. A high point for Ring of Honor this weekend, too. Supercard of Honor 8. This was from the John A. Alario Sr. Event Center in West Wego, Louisiana. I really like this show. This was right around the time where Ring of Honor got really interesting to me for a short period. And I look at this card, and these are all guys that were over with me at one point or another around this time period. Roderick Strong defeated Cedric Alexander in the opener. The decade of BJ Whitmer and Jimmy Jacobs, they teamed with Adam Page and defeated ACH, Tadarius Thomas, and Andrew Everett. R.D. Evans defeated Silas Young by DQ. There was a no-DQ match with Mike Bennett defeating Mark Briscoe. A three-way number one contendership tag title match with Red Dragon defeating Forever Hooligans and War Machine. And then your big three matches, uh, ROH World TV title, best two out of three falls match with Jay Lethal winning the belt in two straight falls against Tommaso Ciampa, an IWGP heavyweight number one contendership match with Michael Elgin defeating Kevin Steen in your main event, a ladder war with uh, a ladder war rather with Adam Cole defeating Jay Briscoe. I remember thinking this show was great. Like I said, I really like Ring of Honor around this time period going into the summer of 2014. Mike, did any of this show ring a bell to you? 
Oh yeah, this I'm with you. Like, well, like when we were talking about 2012 and 2013 Ring of Honor, I was like, yeah, and I wasn't really like paying attention at this point. This was about when I was getting like straight back onto Ring of Honor, and I think a lot of people were as well because like the decade is the, something that definitely resonates with me a whole lot there. And then you know the real kind of beginning of the ROH Ring of Honor or the ROH New Japan relationship there, and then of course this like lethal match where he gets the. Uh, uh, TV title starts his run to becoming the double champion. And then I remember this latter war being insane, especially considering, and I guess it might be a good place to talk about this case. Running in Louisiana is a very, very troublesome thing because of the state athletic commission. And the fact that they were able to do this match when everyone else on the weekend was, it was very testy about what you could do and what you couldn't do was kind of remarkable. Well, I was reading at the observer around this time period that this match almost did not happen not because of any athletic commission issues, but supposedly the story goes that Jay Briscoe on his way to the airport for this match was wearing a necklace with a grenade on it. And he realized it when he got to the airport, put it away in his bag and then sent that bag through the, like the x-ray machine. And luckily before he did that, he told the TSA agent, Hey, I have a grenade necklace in my backpack. It's a (laughs) necklace. And as the story goes, as Dave put it, that the only reason he wasn't arrested on the spot was because he told the TSA agent beforehand. But this match almost did not happen because Jay Briscoe wore a grenade necklace to an airport. I mean, that's, you know, Jay Briscoe, everyone. You know, that's Jay Briscoe. Hell of a wrestler. I will leave it at that. What a hell of a wrestler. And, you know... I don't know exactly what's on the Honor Club streaming service because I've never been a subscriber. I would assume because all of this is Sinclair stuff that this is on their service. And I would really recommend if you haven't seen it, starting with probably the 12th anniversary show, which is February of 2014, and rolling through most of 2014 into early 2015. I think it's a really good era of Ring of Honor and Although they were drawing bigger houses later with the Bucks as full-time guys and with Cody and with, you know, Omega parachuting in every once in a while, I was never interested in that era of Ring of Honor. This era, I'm super interested in, and I think there's a lot of good stuff on those cards, so I would recommend that. I would also recommend, if you're a High Spots Network subscriber, checking out the 2014 WrestleCon Super Show. This was from the Sugar Mill in New Orleans, Louisiana. And it opened with Andrew Everett defeating Cedric Alexander and Trevor Lee in a three-way rematch from their PWG match that was just a few weeks before this. Mike, before I run down the rest of the card, did you remember that Everett-Alexander-Lee three-way at PWG? Oh, of course. Like, that's a match that, for all three of them, kind of catapulted them from being the Carolina guys into becoming independent stars. Like, this was, like, the match that probably, in a lot of ways... Alexander, of course, was doing like some Ring of Honor and was kind of a known entity. But for like Everett and Lee, who were just uh, CWA Mid Atlantic guys, this was like a he- or CWF Mid Atlantic guys. This was a huge stepping stone, and probably part of the reason why uh, Trevor Lee's in WWE, Cedric Alexander's in WWE, and Andrew Everett spent all that time in TNA was because of this three man, t- uh, this three way dance in PWG. I would say it's one hundred percent the reason that anybody knows who Trevor Lee is. He was so unknown when that match was booked. And again, that's Mystery Vortex 2. It's headlined by Adam Cole and Candice LeRae, which was like a hot match when they booked that. I remember that being a big deal. But 
They worked this three-way mystery vortex style, so nobody knew what the card was. And they came out, and people knew Alexander because he was in ROH. They knew Everett because he had taken off the mask at that point and was it was starting to do some stuff. PW Ponderings, who was like the go-to for PWG live reports because they had somebody in the building. Whoever it was, Trevor Lee was so unknown that they gave them the wrong name. And PW Ponderings that night had the it was. Everett versus Alexander versus somebody. And it wasn't until the next day when Kevin Steen corrected them on Twitter. and was like, actually, that guy is Trevor Lee. And from there, Lee exploded. I mean, he was wrestling's best kept secret tucked away, either doing Southern Indies or Reseda for another year or two before he broke out in a big way. So they did the three-way rematch here. There was a four-way tag with Irish Airborne defeating Adam Page and Corey Hollis, Bouquet Dow and Kennedy Kendrick, and David Starr and Timothy Thatcher. Bad Influence defeated Irish Airborne. Candice LeRae and Joey Ryan defeated Jake Manning and Sojourner Bolt. Kimberly defeated Kelly Skater. Jeff Jarrett defeated Colt Cabana. Tommy Dreamer defeats Eric Royal, who was a CWF Mid-Atlantic guy who I actually thought was quite talented. Yeah. Cassidy Riley, Luke Hawk, Shane Helms, they defeat Adam Pierce, Matt Stryker, and Steve Carino. Masato Tanaka defeats Kevin Steen. There was another CZW heavyweight title match on this show, this time a three-way with Gulak defending against Hero and Michael Elgin. In your main event, of course it is. Ultraviolent deathmatch, Masada defeating DJ Hyde. I'm just wondering how they got a deathmatch in there, because... The Sugar Mill is where WrestleCon ran the next time, and it's smack dab in the middle of New Orleans. It's not like how the Pontchartrain uh, event center is in Kenner, and it's kind of out a little ways. Like, this is, you can't really hide it. So I'm wondering how they, what they did and what was the plunder there because of how uh, restrictive the Louisiana State Athletic Commission was. I know I've seen the show. I cannot say I've seen that match, though. But I would recommend Masato Tanaka versus Kevin Steen. That was everything you would want it to be. Yeah, and, and this is an interesting kind of show. Like they built this as a CZW slash PWG co-promotion co-produce, and you know this is very much a high spots kind of show. Looking well, at this, I, I'm glad you said that because Cage Match does bill it as CZW and PWG present the WrestleCon Super Show. I don't think there was any branding of PWG or CZW on this card. There's obviously the CZW World Heavyweight Title Match, but I, I feel like at the time everybody knew that this was a WrestleCon promoted event and not PWG and CCW. Right, yeah. I think it's it must be a weird uh, German way for cage match, you know? <laughs> Our final note, and there's it's twofold here. We actually are going to go back to the newswire for a second. I unfortunately left this out of our booking talks last week when we were talking about all the talent that was on and then off the show. But one of the first names announced for the New Orleans Gabe Weekend were the Young Bucks, because, you know, they were the tag team champions for a lot of 2013. They were feuding with the Bravado Brothers. But on January 17th, Gabe said, we regret to re- 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 let me try that again, Mike. We regret to inform you that the Young Bucks had to cancel their appearance at the WWN Live Experience in New Orleans due to a contractual obligation. We understand that the Young Bucks had no choice in the matter, and we welcome them back in the future. Mike, they would never return. But they would be in Tokyo, Japan on April 6, 2014 for Invasion Attack 2014. They were in the opener against the uh, team of El Desperado and Kota Ibushi. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Uh, That was an IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team title match. Also on this show, who could forget Daniel Gracie and Rose Gracie against Takashi Azuka and Toru Yano. 
the Ryusuke Taguchi versus Prince Devitt singles match. This was Devitt's final New Japan match. And then the tag that followed with Okada and Yoshihashi defeating Bad Luck Fale and Tamatanga that led to the debut of AJ Styles in New Japan Pro Wrestling. And then the show closed out with Ishii defending the Never Openweight title against Naito. Doc Gallows and Carl Anderson defending the IWGP tag belts against Hiroki Goto and Katsuyori Shibata in a brilliant IWGP IC title match to close the show with Shinsuke Nakamura winning the belt from Hiroshi Tanahashi. Yeah, this is just like tremendous. Uh, the prior golden age of New Japan just kind of in action right here, Case. I mean, we have matches on the show that like, I think I was higher than Dave on all the matches. It was four stars or better. Like this was a show that probably had about six four star matches on it. It was an insane show. Yeah, that was something that ended up being lost a few years later was that for a while, WrestleMania weekend consisted of all of these shows in America and then a New Japan Sumo Hall show on that Sunday morning. And the year before, it was Okada and Tanahashi at Invasion Attack, which is probably their best match and one of the best matches ever. And then this year, you had Nakamura versus Tanahashi. I think the next year was Styles and Ibushi, maybe? But that was just a weird thing that gets lost in the shuffle of the history of WrestleMania weekend supercards is for a while you had one of the biggest New Japan shows of the year happening on that weekend as well. Yeah, and this was like a traditional thing because it was uh, early it was early spring and I forget the bash shows when they like the sumo, big sumo tournaments but this was like in between like because they go one Tokyo, one outside of Tokyo, one Tokyo, one outside of Tokyo. This was like at a period that was like an off month for sumo, so that it was easier to get into sumo hall at this time. They just always kind of corresponded with WrestleMania weekend. And with that, Mike, we have talked about Evolve. We have talked about a wrestling odyssey. We did our final Ring of Honor check-in when this show began. It was a promotion carried by Davey Richards, Roderick Strong, and Eddie Edwards, and the Kevin Steen versus El Generico feud. It is now a product of Sinclair Broadcasting, and it is Adam Cole and Jay Briscoe in your main event. We have the WrestleCon Super Show. We talked about a New Japan show that had the Young Bucks, the finale of Prince Devitt, and the debut of AJ Styles. And now let's put a bow on Drangit USA. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like You know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever, but if you're really in this game to, to find value and find particular cards... It sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. 
But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your pulls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, sending these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Let's do that. As I said at the top, this is Mercury Rising 2014 from the McAllister Auditorium on the campus of Tulane University in New Orleans, Louisiana on April 5th, 2014. And the show opens up to a empty ring and we start with the six-man tournament semifinal match A.R. Fox, Rich Swan, and Ricochet going up against Chris Hero, Masato Tanaka, and Roderick Strong. The fall was Rich Swan getting a rolling cradle on Chris Hero in just under 30 minutes. Yeah, this is a, a, almost like a WrestleCon-type dream match. It's Hero, Tanaka, Roddy, which is obviously the only time they ever teamed together, and then Fox, Swan, Ricochet. I want to ask you off the top, Mike, just because we've watched all of these shows and AR Fox and Ricochet were feuding for most of them. Does it bother you at all that they were a team in this match? No, you know, because like this kind of in this, the way that he set this up, I remember Gabe saying like these are like the three true born uh, Dragon Gate USA guys are going to be on one team. And, and and for this and for like this kind of tournament and as being someone who loved the Chikara King of Trios in his heyday, it kind of worked for me there. The thing that took me aback was the fact that this opened and went 29 minutes until I went and saw, oh, wait, the WrestleCon Super Show was happening right after this so that all the the losing team all needed to get across uh, across town to the Sugar Mill immediately. But I was okay with the, with the uh, trio setup there. It made sense, but I, I, I guess it's because at this point, like, my expectations were so low. I'm like, you know what? That makes sense. Yeah, I am in complete agreement with you there. And yeah, this did open up the show and it did go 29 minutes. It was a show that was almost booked backwards. I mean, I know it concludes with the tournament, but this was the real main event and Gabe wanted to make sure that it got time before Hiro and Tanaka had to split. Mike, did you notice that in the front row was one Mr. Green Lantern fan? I felt like this promotion was really on its death's door, on death's doorstep rather, when I turned on this show and staring me dead in my soul was Green Lantern fan. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of impossible to avoid that guy when you see him. <laughs> uh, it's just something about this show. Like, we talked about this last week. The The auditorium did not feel like a bad venue, like in general but it's just everything else about this presentation was just so bad at this point that i had other reasons for this to be on death door uh this was just like at least in my opinion like you mentioned like this is like a like a wrestle match like 
this felt like a road to like invasion tact cork and hall main event trios match not a dragon gate six man trios match at all yes and no I will say this. I gave it four stars because I I really did think by the end of it, it was a great match. It does have a pretty big lull in the middle where mm-hmm. it's just a little pedestrian. They're they're trying to feel each other around. I will say to me, it was very intriguing to watch Masato Tanaka in particular work this style, work with Fox, Swan, and Ricochet because it made me think like, wow, I... I really think this guy could have done Dragon Gate tours. You know, he showed up showed up at Kobe World a few years ago, but that that's not that's not what I mean here. I mean, he was working with guys that were flyers, and I thought held up really well with them. But to me, the undoubted MVP in this match and the guy that makes this go from like, oh, that was fun, to oh my god, this was so great, is Roderick Strong. I thought he was just on another planet, even compared to Ricochet, Swan, Fox. This was the Roderick Strong show to me. I thought everything he did looked so crisp and energetic. And to me, he is what took this match from being fun to being great. Yeah, I I think that Strong at this time period, like pretty much up until like he left Ring of Honor and kind of floated around before he went to WWE, he was, I mean, he had a claim to being at least like the USA MVP. If the USA MVP existed at that time, he just is such a solid wrestler. For me, uh, the lull was just too heavy. It was just was too long of a lull. There was just a, and, and that's how like a big thing about the show is that the matches kind of just existed and they kept on going and they kept on going and a lot of finishes out of nowhere. Like Swan getting a, a pen here on a rolling cradle, which I mean for Swan as someone in this act, you'd pick him as the person that's going to eat the fall here and he gets the pen on here. I thought that was some really kind of smart booking in that way. But this match like just, it, it was good, not great. And I, it's just long for like the fact that it should have been like a main event there and it just did not have anything other than being perfectly fine for me to go as high as you did we watched 50 shows and this was far and away for me the hardest show to review because with the exception of one promo that isn't even a a a spectacular promo it's a show that exists entirely as non-canon these are all standalone matches and it's not it's not a great show. Like the matches no. aren't very good. It's insane. It was really hard for me to write some notes on this stuff. Like again, I really liked Roddy here. That was a talking point I I wanted to to make going forward, but oh my god, what a weird show. I mean, it, it really does feel like had this show just been branded, you know, WWE and Expo or or whatever Gabe wanted to call it, it does not feel like a Drangate USA show, whereas even the night before, with the lack of Drangate talent, with some of the horrible, horrible matches that we saw, I was still like, yeah, there's kind of a Drangate USA quality to this. We at least know some of the stories. There are some angles that are progressing that would end up being blown off on later Revolve shows. This is just a show of matches. Yeah, and there's just no heart to it. Completely. I it really like I, I, I can say this now. Like I don't think when Gabe sent the bravados and bad influence to the ring, I don't think he thought in his mind this is the last drang at USA show ever. Maybe he did, I would love to know, but it is really worked like it is the last drang at USA show ever. Yeah, and it's one of those things that like watching this show, there was some outright bad stuff, and then the rest of it was just kind of mediocre to me. Like some of it, like I'm looking at my star ratings. My highest star rating for anything on the show is three and a quarter. 
Like, it's just not a good show to me. So what uh, What did you give the opening tag? Was it three and a quarter? Three and a quarter, yeah. I'm, I'm higher on some of the stuff than you are. That's very interesting. I did not anticipate that going in. I, it, it's just like, this show is so lifeless. Like we said, that last show was kind of the wake. This is like, oh, we all have this obligation to be here even though we don't want to be here. And it was wrestled like, I'd rather be somewhere else. Yeah, there's an element of grief to this show for sure. And I don't know what stage this falls under, but Mercury Rising, something has died and we are all paying the price for it. Yeah, yeah. And we got our first shout out in this match to Elmo Boudreaux, who is the uh, the Louisiana State Athletic Commissioner on site here, who now I think is a good time to talk about the Louisiana State Athletic Commission. As a lot of people may remember in 2018 that was a big topic because louisiana has one of the more i don't want to call it regressive but it is one of it's just an insane thing like it's strict it's strict for no solid reason i mean i am someone that you know i fully believe that there should be like full commissions i believe that there should be a a, some sort of players association slash union something that like there's an agreement there between promotions and the promoter should have a license because then you make sure that they actually are running things on the up and up and have like ambulances emts and things like this but it's something that like i did a little bit of research into like the build-up to this thing and then the reflection of this for the next new orleans wrestlemania and it seemed like that this wrestlemania weekend paid the price so that joey janela spring break 2 could just do everything and break all the rules because <laughs> elmo boudreaux was a part of that show at at spring break 2 however he was mentioned a lot very obliquely and there were like rules about you're not supposed to be doing pile driver so we saw hot shots and things like that because it's not technically a pile driver you're technically not supposed to do any dives or anything from the top rope to the floor and that's not to say about blood weapons or anything else maybe it's a good thing that dragon gate guys didn't come over this weekend i i mean can you imagine uh can you imagine elmo boudreaux trying to tell shima no we're not you're not doing the meteora can you imagine that? Well, I'm sure she Can would you... be like, great. Where, is my check cleared? Fantastic. I'll do, I'll do whatever it is I need to do. But, you know, let's just say we've got a, you know, we talked about the names last week. You have a Kotoka or a Ryotsu Shibazu on this show. They're going to dive to the floor. They're going to do something crazy. I mean, Kotoka weighs 95 pounds. He would have, you could have booked him jumping off the top rope onto a pile of eight guys if he was on this show. Right. And it's just something that, like, when you have all that and you have the pony ring and you have don't even have the Dragon USA apron or let alone the canvas or, ring, or turnbuckle pads, you're just, like, watching this thing. And really, like, WWN Expo show is, like, the proper way to describe it in my mind. Yeah, they it's weird. They basically booked two wrestling odysseys this weekend. They booked the actual show, and then this one is just as random of a showcase as that was, just without a CCW World Heavyweight title match, which might have made this show better. Oh, I think with those two wrestlers at that time, this that would have that probably would have been my match of the night, given how low I am on everything else. So do you have any other thoughts about this half hour match? Nothing else on the show went above six eighteen minutes. So it, it, it's wild that like when we were watching the show, I also saw that Larry Zonka made a comment about having a 30-minute intermission. This this match is the only match that came close to the length of the intermission. Yeah, that's, that's something that Gabe had to deal with all weekend. On that Evolve 28 show, there was a 45-minute intermission. The one from Ultimate Gate, I don't know how long it was, but it was lengthy, and then this one was a half hour. So it was... 
it, it was such a deflating weekend as a fan, and part of that was what's coming up next. Yeah, so we had a promo here. Chuck Taylor came out. He was very sad. He came out and cut a promo about uh, the Gentleman's Club's dissolution. I, I assume that's what it was because you can't hear a damn thing on the microphone. But then Mac, Maxwell Chicago came out to console him. And I, I have something that, that we'll get into the match itself. But then I don't get Maxwell Chicago and why he's out here. But he wants to cheer up Chuck Taylor. You can't really hear a thing and this sucks. And we had a match and that led to Chuck Taylor versus Maxwell Chicago. Maxwell Chicago came out and they flashed Larry Dallas's nameplate on the screen which was a sign of bad things to come. It's crazy that Maxwell Chicago ended up on these Dragon USA shows because, I mean, he w- seems like he's one of the first American meme wrestlers on the indies. The case, I had that as my first note on Chuck Taylor versus Maxwell Chicago. It's like, so, he's the proto-meme wrestler. Yeah, because... I don't... Like, I think if you booked this match now on a GCW show or whatever... I don't think it would be that big of a deal, but even the dilapidated Death's Door Dragon USA, these two show up, and I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, this feels so inappropriate, really. Like, it's just not what this promotion is, because they go out there and they hug each other, and they're doing slow-mo spots and all this stuff, and I like Chuck Taylor, Maxwell Chicago, not so much, uh, but it was just... It was such a weird way to think that Drangate USA had, was around for a meme wrestler. Yeah, and the whole conceit about Maxwell Chicago is that he wore a black bodysuit and had a button-down shirt and kind of did a soccer Chicago stick of being a very weak pro wrestler who can't pro wrestle. And it went. It, it's listed as four minutes, but this thing went on a lot longer before the Premier Athlete brand came down for the no contest. Yeah, and then from there... Mike, all hell breaks loose. Yeah, I, I mean, the hell's already breaking loose. Like, <laughs> like, like let's be honest. Like, the, 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 this was terrible. Uh, the Premier Athlete brand lays out Chicago and Chuck. Sue Young picks up the microphone and tells Chuck that he either has to, as he had a slot in this tournament for the Gentleman's Club, he either has to forfeit or fight them three on one. Chuck feigns like he's going to the back, but he decides to fight. And that leads to... I don't know if this is the worst match in Dragon Gate USA history, but it is definitely on the top 10 list. Uh, yeah, so, so so let's talk about what happened here, Case. So the Premier Athlete brand jumps Maxwell Chicago and Chuck Taylor, becomes... I don't, I don't know why it had to immediately start as a three-on-one match, but it's Beretta, Conley, and Nice against Chuck Taylor. Biff Busick comes out, makes a hot tag on the apron, and it's now Biff and Chuck versus the Premier Athlete brand. And then out of nowhere, Larry Dallas comes out, and he introduces Teddy Hart and Mr. Money. And we get Teddy out there with two strange women and Larry Dallas. And then Teddy eviscerates everyone. The crowd goes absolutely silent. I have never heard a quieter even empty arena shows, I have not heard a quieter wrestling show than this one after Teddy Hart just eviscerated everybody and then left. He, it, after he hits his moves on everybody, I believe it was Trent, uh, lied over the carcass of Chuck Taylor and got the win, and that led to fire Russo chance. D- is there anything I'm missing there? I know there was a lot going on in one well, hodgepodge of a match. 
Well, Biff Busick was screeching when he was in the ring. Like, for whatever reason. <laughs> At least, like, he was popping himself, I guess. And the, the, there was, like, a a best friends reference between Chuck and Trent that uh, Conley and he stopped and just was just terrible. L- l- well, like, I, well, I will push back on that. I liked that Chuck and Trent played into the best friends thing. Oh, I was well, I not that anticipating part, but the re- that. But the rest of the match was absolutely dreadful, Case. So, yes. Now, when we rank some of our worst matches next week, I... <sighs> This Teddy stuff is so bad, but it's just off in its own universe. Like, even when we talked about WrestleMania Week in 2010 at Phoenix, those were actual matches that he was signed mm-hmm. and booked in. This was just Teddy Hart doing run-ins. Like, it sucks. It's awful. I wish it didn't happen. But I don't know. They just kind of roll off of me. Like, I would not call this the worst match in Dragon USA history, no. even if it is certainly one of the most infamous. And one that left a lot of uh, bad taste in people's mouths. The thing about this match is that prior to Teddy coming out, there was something about this that I was really into. I think the wrong guys were in the match because there was no feud between Nice Beretta Conley and Chuck Taylor or Nice Beretta Conley and Biff Busick. But this slow climb of like a three-on-one match becomes a three-on-two match, and then there's finally a guy out there to even the odds, was kind of a cool structure. It just so happened that Teddy Hart was the third guy, and he destroyed everybody and then left, and then people chanted Fire Russo at a Drangit USA show. Yeah, yeah, like the idea of Chuck has no friends, and then Biff Busick decides, I'll be your friend, buddy, and then someone else joins in and makes it a full match. Like, that's actually a a pretty cute storyline and i'm not against that it's just the fact that like all everything was happening like it, it, and when you compare it to like the other teddy Hart things where jules were just dreadful matches after dreadful tommy dreamer appearances like no this is not the worst match dragon gate usa history it absolutely is one of the more infamous ones it's just utterly bizarre and i've never seen a crowd be killed for the majority of a show after this match gone. because it was only they matches were too. gone after this no interest in anything else Right, yeah. So, also, uh, for something that Larry Zonka had in his review of the show, he brought up a much... This is probably like five different tweet right, wipes bef- after this tweet from Gabe Spolsky <laughs> saying, I, I don't know what happened in that ring. And you're like, and you're like, Case, can I cuss here? Oh, I already did. Please go ahead. But if you're watching the show, you're like, motherfucker, you booked this show. You knew exactly what was going to happen. And even if it... You, by having Teddy Hart come out there after last night and knowing what what kind of wrestler in person Teddy Hart is motherfucker you knew exactly what has happened you can't play cute with that like that was just an epically bad thing like this that that is I, I have not seen crowds outside of like horrific injuries really turn on a show live as fast as that like don't don't try to say like oh anything happened in Dragon Gate USA no We've watched now, this is your 50th show. We know how meticulous you are about a lot of these things. You you don't get that. You, you don't get that opportunity to play a cue and say, I don't know what happened there. Fuck you. No. It wasn't even fun like the Royal Rumble crowds that were turning against the Rumbles. This was just a crowd that was like, oh, shit, I guess I got to sit here for the rest of the show. Like, oh, should have gone to Ring of Honor. This sucks. I can't believe I'm here now. Let me let me throw this at you as just an idea of what they could have done, because I guess you're right. The idea was that Chuck had no friends and was starting to, you know, people were going to fight alongside him and he was going to build new friends. Let's say yeah. that this is somehow Nice Conley Beretta against Chuck Taylor 
and then Swan comes out, and then Gargano comes out, and you do Ronan versus the Premier Athlete brand. I know Swan was already booked, Gargano was already booked. Logistically, it didn't make sense. But wouldn't that have been an interesting match structure? Oh, for sure. And then you'd have like the, the storyline of, oh, wow, because of all this, they saw what happened with Chuck Taylor, and given the last three years, they decided to get back on the same page for this one night only. And it would have, you know, I mean, the gar- it's, we'll talk about the Gargano stuff in just a minute. I did not remember the character going in that direction. I thought it was a total face turn on this show. At least that's what I was anticipating. And that would have turned Gargano face. It would have, it would have been interesting. I would have liked to have seen that because, again, I, I think the structure of the match prior to Teddy Hart coming in was actually very interesting. And I was starting to get, like, once Biff came out, I was like, all right, all right, I'm kind of into this. And then I remember Teddy came out and then Teddy did come out and I was like, all righty, let's, let's go home, boys. Let's wrap it up. Uh, just a hilariously awful wrestle crap worthy wrestling match. Truly, it, it's truly like fun bad. It's just it, now that we have seven or eight years of distance from this, I'm no longer invested in this promotion. I all I could do was sit back and laugh. I was like, "This is this is really funny that this is on the final Dragon USA show." Yeah, yeah, and imagine like. I, I don't know how they would have found out or who told them. Like, I'm just going to, I don't know this for certain, so I'm not going to be telling schools out of school, stories out of school. But just imagine uh, Ricochet coming back and it was like, they're like, oh, how did the Dragon Gate USA weekend win? <laughs> and having to explain this to Okamura, to Shima, to all the higher ups in Dragon Gate. Like, imagine trying to be like, well, this is what the, this is what the guy that you have in charge of your Western expansion decided to do on one of the biggest weekends of the year. A- and a weekend that Dragon Gate knows is important to their history like dragon gate knows what this mat what 2006 did for its promotion like imagine like what a slap in the face that would have been to have to have that described to you as this is what this guy did and oh yeah it was in a six-man tag whether or not dragon gate guys were in this match the fact is if they would have been on these shows in any capacity it would have been a liability they would have been at risk to be injured or embarrassed in some way, shape, or form, and it's it's probably for the best that they were just not in sight at all this weekend. No, no, absolutely. The, staying in Japan and having a show this day was a lot better move than flying people over to New Orleans for this. Uh, yeah, this is just, <laughs> like, the weirdness of the show continues. Like, this show just does not get off, does not get back on the rails after this moment. No, no, things go, I, I wouldn't say downhill, but they don't exactly pick back up in the next match. Yeah, the next match is the final semifinals match of the six-man tag team tournament. It was the former Chikara Sekigun of Lince Dorado in the colony consisting of Fire Ant and Green Ant defeating the Bravado brothers and Moose in 11 minutes when Green Ant submitted uh, Lancelot Bravado with the uh, Chikara special in case, before we even get the show, get the match itself, the crowd does not care at all about anything at this point. No, and to be fair, I don't... Well, not that I want to be fair to Teddy Hart. I don't think that's Teddy Hart's problem. I just think this was the biggest paint-by-numbers six-man tag that has ever existed. What they were doing wasn't wrong, but it was thoroughly uninteresting. It was just two and a half stars. Like... 11 minutes, two and a half stars, and that might be me being charitable there. I, I, I was, was at the same rating, so I think we're, we're in the same boat there. It was because it, you know, I think Lince Dorado 
is a fun wrestler, which I, at one point I don't think I had that opinion, but even when he sh- showed up in 2009, 2010 in this promotion, the work that I've seen him do on 205 Live in recent years, and then here, it's like, man, I kind of wish he would have got booked more places. He was always someone that was entertaining. I don't think ever was ready or primed or deserving of a main event run somewhere, but you know, I look at him on the show, it's like, yeah, that's somebody I'd like to have on my cards. Like, he's a solid professional, and of the Bravado brothers who are champions, Moose, who was this blue chip prospect who Gabe thought he was going to have for a long time, and then he bounced to Ring of Honor next month, and the Ants, who are, are pros at this point, it was Dorado who I thought was the more interesting guy in the match. Yeah, Dorado kind of was the crux, and I think the crux of all these matches, to be honest, that he was a part of here. And it's interesting because... My first exposure to him was in Chikara, where he was not well-received initially. But by 2014, like, like him going to the Cruiserweight class and getting signed two years later made perfect sense. Because at this point, he was a completed product at this point. And I just imagine, like, if he had a run in Dragon Gate USA in, like, 2012, 2013, and, it, it'd be, and not to be ironic, but kind of slot him in where Samurai Del Sol was, I think it, it could have gone really well. I think that he would have fit in great there, and I wouldn't have been surprised if he's someone that could have got a tour out of it at that time. Yeah, it's it's funny you brought up Del Sol. I mean, obviously, they're connected at the hip now, but, you know, by comparison, Dorado just looks like such a lesser wrestler just simply because of the existence of Samurai Del Sol, just because Del Sol, when he's on, is one of the most spectacular flyers of this century and, and by proxy in, re- in wrestling history. So he was always, you know the guy that just wasn't good enough. And and I think that's a bummer because I do think there was a place for him on some of these shows, but at some point he, he got stuck in Florida and was working Florida Indies, which is a swamp that is very hard to escape from. Yeah, metaphorically and literally. Uh, yeah, so th- this happened, and then we had a post-match promo where we not only had a be- bad PA system, but we had Granite talk through a mask where <laughs> it was completely unaudible. I heard tag team titles, so I assumed that they made a challenge for the United Gates coming out of it. And then they made a ref and then the Bravado took the microphone and then made the reference to facing bad influence after the show. Yeah, so this is the only bit of canon that we get on these shows is the ants challenge for the belt, and they would get that match at Evolve 30, which we'll talk about more next week when we put a bow on the history of the Freedom Gate and United Gate tag team titles, or I guess just the titles in general. Yeah, and then there was the aforementioned half-hour intermission. So dude, let's just take a let's just take a beat and let's talk about the first half of the show, just because <laughs> of how bizarre it is and the fact that the remainder of the show, you know, the last three matches don't feel out of place on like a WrestleMania WWN show. But before this, you had a half-hour WrestleCon match, row two, uh, trios match to start. You had a weird four-minute comedy match. You had the Teddy Hart match. And then you had just like a, an aggressively fine uh, trios match. That was the first half of the final DGUSA show. It's weird because the runtime on this show was not super long, all things considered. We've watched much longer Dragon Gate USA shows, but getting through this show was a taxing process. Oh yeah, no, I was very happy that when I watched this last night, I it was at a point at the night where just because it gets on a schedule. I, about every hour and a half i take out pudge so like i was able to take breaks during this show a lot more and go stand out in the yard contemplate my existence contemplate wow this was really the last usa show well it's time to go back inside you know like this is 
the for a show that really is about two hours and 30 minutes long that first hour 15 minutes was just some of the more bizarre things that i've seen in this promotion well what we resumed with on the second half of the show made me question my life in many many ways so the match post-intermission was for the Shine title as Ivelisse defended against Mercedes Martinez. Ivelisse won with a crucifix hold in 13 minutes and just, it happened. It, it was, it, it happened and it was boring. It was all, it was all grappling and groundwork that it just was showing off another WWN affiliate in a place that just made this feel less and less like a Dragon Gate USA mania show. Look, I haven't seen any of her work in NXT, and I will use it as a caveat because I also, I mean, look, I find NXT's empty arena slash limited capacity production to be the most unwatchable of anything. I would rather watch main roster Thunderdome stuff. I'm not going to, but I would rather watch that than the way NXT is currently presented. I think it's gross. I think it's weird. I think it's jarring. I don't like any of it. I haven't seen Mar- Mercedes Martinez work in NXT. I do not get it, though. Like, I've just never, I don't want to pick on her because she's doing good for herself now, but I don't, I don't get it. I've never understood it. And, you know, Gabe, how do I, he has a checkered past of booking women at times, but he's booked Mercedes Martinez consistently. And I have just never understood it. Whereas someone like Ivelisse, you know, known to be a difficult person to be around at times, but I, you know, I, I like Ivelisse as a wrestler. I thought individually she was passable in this match. I just, I would have a really hard time putting a match of this quality on my show. This was below average professional wrestling. It was really bad. And it's something where if you're going to be bad, go for it. Like, that's always the thing that I've always said is the worst thing you'd be is boring. That was the charm of, sorry to cut you off, but that was the charm of the Eva Lee Sue Young match that we watched from Way of, or uh, from Revolt 2014 was like, that match was bad, but it was kind of fun because they were both just overly ambitious and couldn't do the things they were trying to do. Uh, this was not that. No, not at all. This was just taking up time and not taking up time in an interesting fashion and just trading holds on the ground. Just trading holds, trading holds, trading holds. They move Just. so slow. Like, I, I I hope this doesn't come across as mean-spirited, because obviously Mercedes, Marti- Mercedes Martinez is good enough to have a full-time job in wrestling now. But, absolutely, absolutely. But, oh my god, they, I just, I like, for all of the bad Divas eras matches there were, this reminded me of that, where it's like, they can't run the ropes right and then I don't know what happened on the finish if Mercedes Martinez got knocked out in the crucifix pin. I don't know what happened, but this whole thing, you know, it starts with them hugging before the match, and then at the end, it appears that Martinez gets knocked out, or either she was doing right. that or her selling was, <laughs> I don't know where it was during the match, but the post-match she nailed if she was selling that. But it was just like a weird, uncomfortable exhibition match with the way it was presented. It was so slow and just boring and long and bad. Yeah, yeah. And the crucifix hold was a looked like it was like, oh, they lost their balance in, on the finish. Like, like, did it seem like that they like completely lost that? Uh, like, it felt like that they fell backwards rather than having any momentum towards the crucifix. So is it something that like she fainted maybe? It just was bizarre. I don't know, because Ivelisse gets crushed 
when she goes down for the crucifix, because she, she counters what's going to be some back suplex or whatever, and Ivelisse just gets crushed by Martinez and then has to force her over. So yeah, maybe maybe she passed out there. I mean, I have no idea what happens, but it becomes a five or six minute ordeal after the match of getting Mercedes, Mar- Mar- Mercedes Martinez to her feet and then getting her to the back. Like it's as long as the match was. It's a, a really bad match that did not help anything on this show. Not saying they shouldn't have been booked, but just the the output of this match did not reel the crowd back in. They were desperate for something good, and this was not it. And how do you come back from intermission with this match? Like, that's the thing that gets me, too, is, like, you look at the remainder of the show, like, I would have probably put the the three-way trios match to start start back from intermission, and you put this match up before the main event, you know? Like, you don't start back from intermission after having a first half of your show that completely killed your crowd dead with another match that the crowd is just like, oh, we have more wrestling after we've been sitting around for half an hour. We have to sit through this another 11 minutes of a bad match. Yeah, I mean, the issue becomes Gabe promoted that trios match, or I guess that nine-man match, as the main event. And Key versus Gargano was a good match to me, but was not. it wouldn't make sense for that coming out of intermission because it was such a slow match. So you're left with either booking your main event as the first match out of intermission or... You know, I mean, what what else do you do here? Like, his hands were tied to an extent. I mean, I, I don't believe his hands were tied because it was all a situation of his own making. Though. Yes. Yeah, that, that, he is, was that the, is fair. He is the one that said, like, oh, yeah, this has always been our main event. This should be our main event. Dude, you didn't even have anyone from Japan over in this. This is not a Dragon Gate six-man match other than you saying that this is the legacy of it. And, it's, and, and spoiler alert, it's by far the worst six-man match that Gabe has run in this. And at least that would have a chance to hype up the crowd a little bit. And then Loki versus John Gargano totally fits as a main event. Like he created this scenario for him. He made his bed. I think that's very fair. And then we had Loki versus John Gargano. Loki defeated John Gargano with the key crusher in 18 minutes. So Loki comes out and then Gargano comes out and he looks like a crazy person. He looks insane. He immediately picks up a microphone and he cuts a promo pre-match. He claims that he's still the champion and apparently he's the only one who can master Gabe's bad PA system because I could hear everything he was saying clearly during this. Did you notice that? Yeah, and I had no memory of this, of Gargano coming out and saying he retained the title and acting like this was a title match. It was a bummer because when Gargano comes out, he gets a huge applause. Like, it's a big response for Gargano. It, it again, it goes back to what I've been saying since he turned heel a year ago. WrestleMania weekend 2013 was the, the heel run for Gargano seems like Gabe is deliberately trying to get this guy ready for television style wrestling. And I think Gabe succeeded in that as we've seen with, you know, Gargano's future. I, I, I don't, I don't think he was picking up too many tools in 2015 and 2016. I think he was ready by this point. So he gets this big baby face applause and then he grabs the mic and it's like, I'm still the champion. I retained my title. And I was just like, Oh, come on. Like we, nothing on this show is going to be good. Is it? It's just is head scratching. I don't remember this going anywhere either. I don't, I don't know no. if this story ever progressed past this weekend. The next Evolve show is Evolve 29 and Gargano works Biff Busick and he gets his jaw broken in that match. And then I feel like it's dropped once they pick things up back up in Florida uh, for the Summer Evolve shows, which acted as a reboot. It's just like, 
it's something where it's so awkward and it's so like oh you're acting like the champion that he then offers Loki a title match and it's something that's like the idea of Johnny Gargano being delusional after basically the title becoming a part of his body over the last three years makes sense it's just like reading the room and thinking like that's something that you should do on a show that's had so many issues is just befuddling luckily we did have we did have one saving grace in this promo segment case you know what that was what was that we had one last loki book report <laughs> sheriff loki was here and going and he was like jonathan don't you know you lost your belt this can't be a title match uh if you're gonna put your title on the line then i'm gonna put my nxt season two championship on the line as well because we're, we're all talking about things that don't that, that we don't have and don't matter anymore yeah, I fucking love Loki. He's the best. And this match was weird. I, I liked the Trent match from the night before a little bit more. Oh, yeah. I I feel like these guys have a much better match in them because there were little moments here and there where just their respective offenses looked really, really good against one another. But I don't think they ever found their rhythm to have a truly great match. Yeah, and there's just not... There's not a lot of emotions there with it, and it was just something like th- there were pieces in this match. Like there was a really cool counter that Gagrano made into hitting the lawn dart. That was like, all right, so these two guys do have chemistry. It's not like that these two guys just don't work well together. It's just this match that they put on was not a great match. This was another one of my three and a quarter star matches on here, case. Like it, it, it wasn't a bad match. It just was like very, just not what you were hoping for very underwhelming this is the bad pizza three and a quarter star match you had the the key crusher out of nowhere and it just was not wrestled like a big match not like a back and forth forth of training holes and then a sudden key crusher as if he was hitting a time cue it's like okay match is over time to go for the key crusher that's it yeah i thought the finish was super anticlimactic which is a bummer because it, it reminded me a lot of the opening six man where it started kind of slow, and, and the middle wasn't really grabbing me, but once they got going, I was really, really into it. But then, yeah, Key just hits the Key Crusher out of nowhere, and, and I was at three and a quarter as well. I don't—I mean, I get that Gabe was using Loki as a special attraction to make up for the lack of Japanese talent on the show. I would love to know, in Gabe's ideal world, if he had— you know, let's say four Dragon Gate wrestlers on the show, I would love to know who he would have liked and what he would have done with Gargano on this show because in a in a weird way, the key match kind of makes sense as just this blanket demarcation point of like, you are no longer the champion, you have lost to Loki. I would have liked to have seen the alternate world of whatever Gargano's doing with, you know, Shima Tozawa... Rio Saito and Eita on this show or whatever. I, I would like to know if he ever at any point had ideas for Gargano after the title run specifically for this show. And if you're still going to have Loki, Loki versus Biff Busick. Like, that's a match that works. Like, you should have done that. Instead. Yeah, I don't, I, I, you know, I don't know if Key would have done that. My guess is he he was probably given a list of guys that he could work with, and he signed off on Beretta and Gargano. I know in in recent years when Key has done notable indies, he is the one booking his programs. And sure. if we've learned anything from Key, and and for as disappointing as it is, I you know especially in the meme wrestler 
indie wrestling universe that we're in right now. I really respect the way that Key protects his image. And for as awesome as Low-Key versus Biff Busick would be, I just don't see a world where Key... Uh, There's two things that happen. Either that match doesn't happen, or Key tries to make an example of him and just tears up this young, hot prospect that Gabe is booking. So... I, I love where your brain is at. Unfortunately, I don't think Loki does, though. Yeah, that's fair. I, I, I mean, best laid plans. As soon as Loki hears them, he's like, nope, that's not what I'm going to do tonight. And I respect that. But, you know, the, I, I'm just a, a mindset of how do I take this card and get something good out of it? And that is the easiest place to put Loki in my mind. Well, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, Loki probably have gone no. Well, once I thought of Ronan reuniting in the Chuck Taylor Premier Athlete brand segment... I just wanted to tear this whole card apart and just start from scratch and just do something else. And a key versus Bifusic would have been very interesting. I would have liked that a lot, especially compared to what the actual result of the show was. No, absolutely. You're absolutely right there. And then we got to the televised main event. This was the finals of the six man tournament. It was the, Colony and Lindsay Dorado versus Air Fox, Rich Swan, and Ricochet versus the Premier Athlete brand. The Premier Athlete brand wins both falls. Caleb Connolly eliminates Lindsay Dorado with a top rope Michinoku driver that looked really brutal. And then Trent, out of nowhere, beat Air Fox with the Psycho Knee. The first half of this match was awesome. When it was all nine guys in the match, I thought it was really, really entertaining. And I wasn't anticipating that. Obviously, I watched the show in the moment, but I really had no recollection of anything but the opening match and and obviously the Teddy Hart stuff, but then Key versus Gargano. Didn't remember how this match went at all. Didn't remember who won. Didn't remember any spots. Really came away from this kind of enjoying it, though. It's weird to think that things died down a little bit once it became the Premier Athlete brand and then Swan, Fox, and Ricochet, but... They lost momentum after that first fall because while it was going, it was a really hot match, I thought, with the big spot to me being Anthony Nice doing the Gotchlift powerbomb to Rich Swan onto a pile of people on the floor. I thought that spot looked great. Yeah, no, and it was something where like you, you actually had a dive train, which the show needed anything to get the crowd into it, and the crowd kind of parked their ears for the first time in two hours for that. There was a really funny moment where there was what I wrote down in my notes case, a giant cuddle puddle submission with eight eight people, which Tony Nese did not want any part of and just beat everyone out of, which I thought was pretty funny. But yeah, after Conley d- defeated uh, Seki Gun with that Michinoku driver, it just, everything there was like fine, but just at this point, such a bastardization out of something that was so fiercely protected for eight years. And it's just like, oh, so this is what the six man is now. And, like, it's hard for me to, like, show any enthusiasm for that. That's a very interesting perspective to have on this match, because I was not thinking about that at all, which is maybe my fault that, you know, Gabe had presented this as in the same lineage as Blood Generation versus Doofixer and Typhoon versus Muscle Outlaws and, and whatever else he had booked throughout the years, which is inherently flawed. On its own, though, I mean, I went three and three quarters with this, I really liked it, and I liked, you know, I don't know, I liked seeing the Americans do their damnedest and have a good little match like this. Obviously, I wish, you know, we talked about Dragon Gate last week and the state of things. I wish this was T-Hawk Aton UT against 
you know, whoever, Yoshino, Ricochet, Shingo, I don't care. I wish it was that match, but it's not. But for what it was in a vacuum, if you ignore, you know, eight years of history prior to this match, which is, is a big undertaking, and I completely understand why you had taken that perspective on it. It's a very fun little match where I think the the homegrown guys that mattered in this case, Swan Fox and then Beretta and Nice Conley, looked really good in this match. So it, in a way, it was a win and I'm glad the heels went over because they would need that momentum as they continued on and evolve. Oh, no. It, it, I, I get your mindset as well. Like, I, I think that there really are just two ways to kind of like take the match. We both kind of took it that way. This will sign you. I went three and a quarter. No, I think that's uh, that's right on the money for where you've been. That's crazy that your top three matches on the show are all three and a quarter. I mean, like, but but that's it's not like I mean, I, again, I went four on the the opener, and then three and three quarters here. But I, your ratings are justified. It's like, you know, what are you gonna do? You give three and a half to the Moose match? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, it's just one of those things that like it's very hard for me. Like, like, like you brought this up. If this was portrayed as a WWE Expo show or another wrestling odyssey, I'd be like, okay, that's fine. But for what this show is, and the fact that Gabe would still use Mercury Rising as the big super show name through the end of WWN and Evolve, this might be the weakest one that he's ever run. And I have to reflect back on the history in my and, and how I view these things. Yeah, I feel like towards the end there, it, he was really scraping the bottom of the barrel to get some of those six mans booked. And I, and I, I will try to find a specific example as we kind of hit the backstretch of the show, this final match. But there was a point in time where it's like, oh, that's the sixth man this year. And then it would, it would always be fine. But yeah, I mean, well, God, he booked TDT guys a few years ago, didn't he? I'm looking at the 2019 one, the final Mercury Rising, right. and it's damnation against AR Fox and the Skulk, which is just insane to think about. Yeah, it's, you know, it's unfortunate that this gimmick really died with a whimper, he didn't even book one. I guess it, he booked one in 2018. This is the one I was thinking of, but it opened the show. The next time they were in New Orleans, the sixth man on that show was AR Fox, DJZ, and Trey Miguel against Austin Theory, Travis Banks, and Zach Wentz. And that was the opening match on that show. Now, I remember that match, and I remember that match being awesome. This whole show is very good. Zack Sabre Jr. versus Sawa, Sakamoto versus Keith Lee, and then the incredible Riddle versus Will Ospreay main event. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, he he gave up on this concept seemingly after 2013, with the exception of the revival that he did in 2016 with the Evolve One guys versus the UK talent, which again, that match is awesome. Yeah, so I mean, like this is probably the worst Mania show that he put on outside of like your style battle ones, you know, and it's just you come away with this and you're like, okay, the promotion died the night before. Now we're just kind of staring and poking at the body here. That is something I will circle back to next week. That is something for me to think about as to whether or not this is the worst WrestleMania weekend show that Gabe ever booked, because I do not have an answer to that right now. But that wasn't it for the show, because luckily, a lot of stuff got pulled from the WWN Live Archive case, but you did the work, and you found that they put up the dark, ma the dark match tag team main event of Bad Influence of Christopher Daniels and Kazarian, defeating the Bravado Brothers in 16 minutes and 45 seconds with the best moonsault ever on Harlem Bravado. 
Yeah, Mike will throw a link in the description of this podcast for the Bravado Brothers versus Bad Influence match. Don't all run there at once. I don't want to crash YouTube. <laughs> it is insane to me that this is the final match in Dragon at USA history. It is the antithesis of everything that BB Hulk versus Yamato on the first show was. Yeah, yeah, no, this is just... Uh, we, we missed, apparently, a long promo case. Like, I'm happy about this, but it just was... Gentlemen's three at best. You know what? The, you know what just this was. Kinda... This was an awesome OVW match in a bad Dragon mm-hmm. USA match. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something where like nothing was interesting in it to me, at least for like a DGUSA stuff. Like, I mean, at this point, Daniels and Kazarian really were one of the top five tag teams in the world. But they're and they build up like the Bravados is one of the top 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 tag teams in the world. Which okay. I mean, you can say things. You can say anything you want. Doesn't mean it's true. <laughs> and they just kind of had they had a serviceable OVW or big time wrestling main event. It was a big deal when the when Daniels and Kazarian went back to the Indies, which the the official return for them to the independent scene is Ring of Honor's first pay per view, which is June of 2014. They show up in a hype package there, and then they return to Ring of Honor. Shortly thereafter, at this point, they're still TNA talent, which is why this wasn't on the iPay-Per-View. That was a big deal, and it was a decent get for Gabe to to get them on this show. I, I was watching this, you know, are the Bravados a top five tag team in the world in 2014? No, they are not. But I was watching this and thinking, like, it is, it is such a shame that they had the careers they did I don't know how, this was the exact comp I thought of was like, how does Alex Riley end up as the muscle for the Miz when you had the Bravado brothers right there? Because they were, they they just, they weren't built for the super indie scene. And that's not on them. They were really good at what they did. It just wasn't for this environment. Yeah, no, like it's just, just not in this environment. And it's one of those things that at this point, like, and it's interesting because like they would have like a Ring of Honor run that I thought was genuinely pretty solid after this. Uh, bad influence of the Bravados. Oh, sorry, I thought you were talking about bad influence there. Yeah, Bravados are just—they just kind of exist to yeah, me. Yeah, no, I, the the bad influence would end up being good in Ring of Honor. The Bravado Brothers are just wrong place, wrong time. It's not—it's not their fault. They just were not cut out for the work rate indies. They should have been TV wrestlers, and even you know, like. I, I said this earlier, maybe I said this in the Voices of Wrestling Slack, not on the show. It is crazy to me that the Bravados were cut when Sinclair took over Ring of Honor, because to me, they are such a Sinclair polished act. It is wild that they never ended up there. Yeah, no, it's something like, like, really, like, they are made for studio wrestling, wouldn't you say? They're great characters, absolutely. Like, I would love to, like, you could see them at like uh, JCP shows getting beat up by the Andersons. Like they'd be par- perfect in that fashion. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's just, it's a bummer that they are where they are. It's a bummer we never got a blow off to the Young Bucks Bravados feud because, you know, mm-hmm. I, I loved their first match and the stuff they did on the Evolve Triple Shot in Florida at the start of this year, which was the final weekend the Bucks worked for Gabe. I really liked all of that stuff. We just never got a definitive blow-off, which, you know me, I would put faith in the Young Bucks having a great blow-off brawl with anybody, the Bravados included. It's just very funny to me that this is the final match of the promotion. This just, by the book, 
basics, fundamentals. Like, these guys are solid pros tag team match. Whereas, you know, this promotion kind of thrived off of innovation and guys doing things differently, and this match was just not that. Oh, no, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, it's just not that, and it's just something that, like, if I was in New Orleans, I wouldn't want to stay for this match. No, I think <laughs> you, that's you know? very fair. I, I, I mean, I don't remember what the schedule is for that. I mean, Bourbon Street is right there. Like, you can find better things to do in New Orleans than to stay for a dark match between Bad Influence and Bravado Brothers. Yeah, exactly. And it's just, again, you know, I, I know why Gabe Book Bad Influence makes sense to me, but it is it is heartbreaking in a sense to think that this is the final match in Dranga USA history. Yeah, that's it. And that concludes the history of Dragon Gate USA as an in-ring property. I know that next week we'll be talking about the final announcement of when it closed. We'll be talking about plans. We, we'll, be, we'll be having a pretty deep aftermath discussion about this. But, Case, did you have any other big thoughts on this show before we got out of here? I'm looking forward to next week. Like I said, we're going we're gonna to close out the title history so you know exactly where those titles ended up. We're going to talk about, you know, obviously best matches in the promotion, worst matches in the promotion, best shows, worst shows. I've got a list of events that happened after Drangate USA closed that I think will really surprise a lot of people just to put into perspective how long Drangate USA has been inactive. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll put a bow on everything. So 50 shows uh, completed, reviewed. We've watched every single thing that has been made available to us in the history of Drangate USA. It is sickening to think about, and at the same time, I'm incredibly excited at wrapping this up and happy with the way this turned out. Yeah, no, this was an absolute pleasure case, and there's no one I would have rather done this than with you. There's so no one this was... that would have done this with you other than me, Mike. Have you thought about that? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I would say, hey, Alan, would you want to do this? But then I feel like Sarah might, you <laughs> know, just be like, put the kibosh on that pretty quickly. <laughs> Now, Sarah is too busy watching her IWD, uh, IWTV subscription. Sarah Forel loving the U.S. Indies right now. Can't get enough of that stuff. I, I mean, I've heard decent things about this beyond series that's going on there. But, you know, and, and you know, there's always Paradigm Wrestling, Paradigm Pro. And you know how I of feel course about, taking you know, over Wednesday nights, the most talked about show on Wednesdays. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So. That's going to do it for this week, and that's going to do it for the history of Dragon Gate USA. Next week, we will be having our wrap-up aftermath and talking about in greater detail and greater context just the 50 shows that were Dragon Gate USA. You could follow the podcast at Open Voice Gate. I'm at Fujiheya, and Case is at underscore in your case. But for Case, I'm Mike, and thanks for listening to Open the Voice Gate. Take care.